Fantastic. You feeling good? Man, it's so cool to have you in church tonight. So glad that you showed up and that you're here. And it's always better to have people than doing it on your own. And so that's, that's cool. And you could have been a lot of other places, but you chose to be in the house of God. And I think God really likes that and God is going to bless you. And so turn to the person beside you and say, you are unbelievably good looking. This is a bit of a social service for single people. And anybody gets a uh, marriage proposal out of it, invite me to the wedding. It'd be good. That'd be cool. So cool. I was pretty impressed with uh, Pastor Joe teaching his daughter French. French is such a sexy language. I'm from North Queensland. There's nothing sexy about, g'day, mate, how you going? You don't scrub up half too foul. That's, that's, you can say anything in French and it sounds sexy. Anything. Petit pas, français. That's just, doesn't that sound, you have to walk up to it. You, listen, young guys, single guys, French accent and anything in French. Like, and you don't even need to learn French. Just go to a French restaurant. French restaurant, a couple of dishes off the menu. Hold her hand, look in her eyes. Petit pas, la français. She goes weak at the knees. That's uh, peas with uh, bacon and lettuce. <laughs> you don't need it. Pommes de terre, la boulangerie. You know, it's potatoes. And that's uh, with chicken stock. So it's just great. <laughs> bit of French, bit of French. That'll help you out. Some of you guys are going to appreciate that one day, and uh, and thank me very much. So, but what a cool, what a cool day to be in church. Thank you to the worship team. How many people appreciate the worship team? <laughs> Great worship. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you, don't always love worship leaders. Don't, don't always, I blame worship leaders for the lockdown uh, in 2020. So in my personal opinion, it may not be accurate, but they had us singing in 2019. Nothing else, nothing else will do. No, take it all away. No, I don't want nothing except Jesus. And we got that. We locked us down, took away television, took away restaurants, flying. How'd that work out for you? Not, not, not great. Not great. And then worship leaders over the years have uh, just single-handedly wrecked many a good song. Um, there was a song back in the 80s, I think Christian City Church wrote it, called I Walk By Faith. And uh, remember that song? how many people remember that song? Just a good grunty, I walk by faith. And then the worship leader, some worship leader thought, let's add actions. <laughs> and any song where you add actions is doomed for failure. And so it was good. We had, I walk, and then but then we had to do. I walk. Remember that by faith. Remember that, and then you had to turn in your eye because you can't move too far because the aisles are all in. You got a whole heap of white people trying to you know walk by faith in time and stuff like that. It was just any song with. I hate songs with actions. I hate songs with. There was a song, uh, "Dance in the Midst of the Congregation," which wasn't actually a great song on its own, but then they added actions. And every action added verses. So I was like, dance, in the spin, you know, twirl, jump, you know, and there's nothing, it's just, it just awful, just, just horrible. I, but, but in honor of the message of faith tonight, I thought we should sing an action song. <laughs> just because we can. So we all stand. Now, I, I don't, does our keyboard player know that, that, that hymn, hymn 145, um, Father Abraham had many sons. Do you know that song? Hymn, hymn 145 from the Redemptional Hymn Book. 
She's walking like she does know what she's doing. Can I have one song leader? Do we have a song leader that knows Father Abraham? Any song leader? Now the words are very, very meaningful. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. And then we're gonna add left arm and then right leg. Okay, so do, do, we, ha- do we have, can, we, can you come and lead us in uh, hymn 143, Redemptional Hymn Book. Here we go. Father Abraham had many, many sons. sons. Many sons had Father All together. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on, Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. It's like aerobics. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on, left on, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had fun. How many people are glad that they're not broadcasting tonight? And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg. Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. We're getting close to the end. Some of you probably need to stop and have a break right now. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg, red foot. Turn around. Father Abraham. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg. Turn around, sit down. Woo! If anybody is never grateful for not living in the 80s anymore, (laughs) that'll bring it back. Romans chapter four, verse 17, we talked about Abraham this morning, we're gonna talk a little about him uh, tonight. Says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God has called us to live the life of faith. It's not an optional Extra. We are called to be men and women of faith. We are called to pray and to call into existence those things that do not exist. There is power in your prayer. You are not just lobbing words up into heaven. There are power 
in, there is power in your words and we are called to live the life of faith. And so we were talking about the life of Abraham this morning. To give you a flyover of where we were, Genesis chapter 12, we learned that faith lives in a go. Faith is an action. Abraham was 75 years of age when God told him to go. Genesis chapter 13, we learned that faith lives in a look. It is an expectation. Abram was 80 years old when God told him to look. Genesis chapter 15, here we learn that faith lives in account. Faith is appreciation. Abraham was 85 years old when God told him to count the stars, to look at the stars. And that brings us to the book of Genesis chapter 17. And then we learn some lessons from Genesis 17. We learn, number one, that faith lives in confidence. Faith is conviction. Abram is 99 years old. That is nearly a quarter of a century past the original promise. And in the natural, at 99, it looks more impossible today than it did when it began. And so now he's in this crazy position. In Genesis chapter 17, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Now at this point, Abram's had a few shots at doing it himself. And God said, I know you've tried to do it in your own strength, but it's not about you doing it in your strength. You need to do it in my power. And God says, I'm gonna multiply you greatly. God had been silent for 14 years. So not only is the promise 25 years old, God's not really spoken him. We hear no record of God talking to him for over a decade, 14 years of nothing but a dial tone from heaven. But Abraham keeps believing. In fact, Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter four. He said, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No Unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised he was gonna do. I'm here tonight to stir somebody up because God put a dream in your heart and the dream hasn't come to pass so far. God put a promise in your spirit and you haven't seen it come to pass. God gave you a vision when you were younger and you haven't seen the vision come to pass and it seems more impossible today that God can do what he said he was gonna do. But I'm here to tell you today to start to stir up the faith inside you. Don't lose hope, don't lose desire, don't lose confidence, don't lose passion, don't withdraw back. Today is not the day to draw back. Today is the day to press through and believe that God is gonna do what God said he was gonna do. Faith is about Godfidence. Godfidence is the confidence you have in God that he is able to do what he said he would do. Hebrews chapter 10 said, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. I wanna, I wanna stir your confidence up again tonight. 
Some of you just need to get that dream back alive. Don't quit on the things that God had put into your spirit. A quarter of a century had passed, and this day looks more impossible than it ever did before. Faith also lives in a declaration. Faith is, faith is about words. It's a confession of what comes out of your mouth. Abram is Abraham, Abram, and then God tells him, look, we're gonna need to change your name. Genesis chapter 17, then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Now, Abram, A-B-R-A-M, meant exalted father. But God says to him, listen, you've been confessing that over your life for years, that you're an exalted father, but you're bigger than that. I, I, I need you, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna get you into position to receive everything I'm gonna do in your life, you need to change your name, and we're gonna change your name to Abraham, which means a father of many nations. So every time Abraham says, hey, my name is Abraham, he's making a statement. I'm not just an exalted father, I am a father of many nations. At 100 years of age, he's confessing over his life, I am a father of many nations. This has not happened in his life, but he's confessing that God can do what God said he was gonna do, and he started to declare himself. And then he's got all of his friends prophesying it over him. What's your name? My name is Abraham. Oh, and they call him Abraham, he changed his name and he changed his destiny. My birth name is Kerry. K-E-R-R-Y, Kerry, Kerry John. I changed it to John when I was 10 because there were three people in my class with the name Kerry and only one of us was a dude. John means God is gracious, or God has been gracious. And so since the age of 10, I've been calling myself John and confessing over my life, God is gracious. And my experience is God has been gracious to me. God's been very gracious to me. I, I have discovered recently that the name Kerry uh, is actually Welsh and it means black hair. The older I get, the more I'm convinced I need to change my name back to Kerry and start declaring some black hair over my life. Might come in handy. So, so but God, and my mom, my sister's here. She's here from, from uh, uh, Townsville and, and North Queensland. And, and uh, my mom and dad, I remember saying to my mom once, why would you do that? Like, why would you take a beautiful eight-pound, six-ounce baby boy and say, you shall be Kerry. Well, there's so many other names you could use. And she said, God told me to call you Kerry. I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> he might have said I'd be hairy and scary, but it <laughs> fix your hearing. But God often throughout the Bible changes names and changes confession, and changing confession changes destiny. Why? Because your words have power. There is power in your conversation. There, there, are power, there is power in your confession, in your words. If you want to change your life, you may need to change your confession. 
You may be getting things in life that you don't need, don't deserve, shouldn't have, but they're coming at you because of your confession and the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart is bringing negative things towards you. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. From the fruit of the mouth, a man is satisfied with good. Proverbs 12, 18. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15, 23. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the, your tongue has power. Your words have power. And they have the power to bring death and they have the power to bring life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat its fruit. So whatever you love, you're gonna eat the fruit of what you love. Well, I, I just feel that I got the right to criticize. I feel like I've got the right to be now. I gotta, I'm just speaking my mind. I, one person like, I, my talent is to be able to speak my mind. I think that's a talent God would be happy for you to bury. Life and death, choose your words carefully. Your conversation is directing your life. Parents, when you're speaking into the life of your children, choose your words carefully as you speak into the life of your children. Husbands, choose your words carefully as you speak into the life of your wife. Wives, choose carefully how you speak into the lives of your husbands. We need to have more control over our tongue. One of the worst things about our society today is everyone just feels like they've got the right to be able to express their opinion. And you do have the right to express your opinion. But you may not wanna do it because your opinion, may, your opinion may be crazy or negative or bringing destruction towards you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, therefore I tell you, what you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Jesus taught us to speak to mountains, not about mountains. He said, I want you to speak to the mountain. I want your words of faith to speak to mountains and I want you to tell the mountains to be removed. We're expert in speaking about mountains. We can talk about the mountain. We know how high the mountain is. We know the different rock formations on the mountain. We can talk about the trees up the mountains and the birds in the trees. We can even say what sort of a bird that is up in the tree and how big the nest is. We are good into the details of the negative thing. And God says, no, I don't want you to speak about the mountain. I want you to speak to the mountain and tell it to get out of your way. There's some things in your life that are standing in the way of you being all that God has called you to be. And it's time to get your shoulders back, head up and speak at the mountain, to the mountain and say, get out of my way. I'm coming through. I'm a child of God. There is power in your words. Faith lives in generations. Faith is future focused. You think about this. Abram is looking for children while God is speaking about children's, 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 children. He's the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. He is a God of generations. 
Genesis chapter 17, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you and throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So God's like, Abram, I, I, Abraham, I know I'm talking to you, but it's more than just you. It's not just about you. It's not just about you and a son. It's about you and sons, 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 and daughters. It's about generations. I'm, I, I, I'm, we're doing much bigger than you could actually anticipate. What is coming out of you, Abraham, is massively bigger than what's in you. What, what God does in you is awesome. But what God does in you is intended to shape generations. I don't know if, you, if you're like me, I am so glad God saved me. I know where my life was heading before I got saved. I love doing ministry because I get to see God move in people's lives and they get saved and turned around. And I've been excited to doing that for a long time. Why? Because I know where I was at. I know how I was living. I know how God intervened and He turned my life around. And probably one of my only regrets in life is that I didn't get saved earlier. And I have people like, well, aren't you glad you were you know, unsafe for that season? You got to learn a whole heap of bad things. I'm like, no, I spent the rest of my life trying to unlearn that stuff. I love the testimony of the person. Like, I popped out of the womb. I said, praise Lord, I've been a Christian ever since. I, that, that's a powerful testimony. There's nothing about living in sin and destruction that, 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 that's great. About the only good thing about it is I get you to share with people how you overcome that. But I am incredibly grateful for saving me. But while salvation benefited me, it wasn't just about me. It was that I'd be a better husband. While salvation benefited me, it's not just about me. I'm a better dad. My, my, my daughters don't have a drunk father because I got saved. While salvation benefited me, my grandsons have a better granddad. They don't have an angry, they don't have a violent, they don't have a drunkard, I'm not doing drugs. There's a whole heap of things I could be doing that I'm not doing because God saved me and I don't do those things anymore and it's made me a better me and it's not about me, it's about my grandchildren. Just the fact that God saves you is better. For, I, I, there's a lot of people, they're attacking the church. You know, all oh, the church wants is in money, that stupid thing. You've ever heard people say that? Ever heard anybody say that? When do you go to church? All the chances, once is money. You're a moron. You don't, you don't live that in reality. If you, if you really live that, you would throw your television out. Really. You should sit through more ads in one television show than the whole offering we take on a Sunday. How many minutes did you have on the clock to take your offering? I'm not talking about giving the announcement. I'm just tangibly talking about money, about giving. It was about a minute, maybe two. Is that, yeah, two minutes. You spoke, you spoke two minutes in an hour and a half service, two minutes, on my, two minutes. It time, next time you're watching an hour and a half of telly, time the ads, time the ads. Only chance one give your money, you stupid person. Do you know how much money the church saves society? Do you know how much money? Do you know how many car accidents I had drunk driving before I was saved? 
But when I got saved, you know how many drunk driving accidents I've had since I've been a Christian? None. <laughs> no one. Two, when I was unsaved in a five-year period. But none since I've been saved which means that people are safer on the road. Hospitals are not gonna have my body in there or me putting somebody else's body in there because I hit it when I was drunk driving. I've saved the community thousands and thousands of dollars. I used to smoke two packets of cigarettes a day and God broke that addiction and that saved me all sorts of problems in, in my, do you know what I'm saying? That's not even in my notes, but somebody needs to hear that because somebody at work's in your face, and you can't want the money no, we don't. We want to change lives. We want to see people get, get their lives turned around. We want some of the money that you're spending on things that destroy you to come back into your life and be things that bless you. That's what God wants to do. Now to Him, able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Faith working in us changes everything. Faith lives in an opportunity. Abraham is 99 years old when God told him to cut. Abraham is beyond his natural ability to bring the promise to pass. And then, I don't know, just to me is like God's sense of humor. Like the guy's 99 and his wife is up there with him. Like, these people are old. I, I apologize if you're 99 here tonight, but they are old. I, don't even, I can't even imagine how this thing goes down. Like Abraham comes out, looks at Sarah and's like, your nightgown's a little bit crinkly. And she's like, I'm not wearing anything. I don't know how. <laughs> but this is, where, this is where for me it gets crazy. The guy's 99 years old and God's telling him, you're gonna have a son. Now, I don't need to explain what's gonna happen to make that happen, but he's 99 years of age. Now, that's difficult enough. Let the guy have a, no, no. That's not how God rolls. Verse 11 of chapter, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. What? It's like God's like, you know, it's not difficult enough. Let's just, let's just get you to hack at your manhood with a knife, no Novocaine, no antiseptic, no cut across the dotted line, nothing. Nothing. Sit you in a room. You gotta do it on your own. Like it's like God, God cranked it up and made it even more difficult. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not even sure that's God's original plan. Just to be honest, I'm not sure circumcision. Here's, here's what I think may have happened. I think God had an idea and God called the angels together and he's like, gather around, gather around angels and they're all like coming in. And God's like, look, I got, I got an idea. I got an idea. This is what I'm thinking about doing. Now, listen to me. I'm thinking about this. I want, I want my children, Israel, to be walking down the road and I want everyone to look at them and go, that's God's people. Clearly identifiable. So I'm thinking about this. Snapbacks, lids, caps. Not slated to be invented for thousands of years yet. So Israel way ahead of the curve. 
And, and they could wear it. They could wear it down. They could pop it up at the top. They could turn it backwards, lift it high and embroider little things on the front. Lion of the tribe of Judah, tribe of Dan, El Shaddai, all sorts of things that they could put on the front. Snapbacks, lids, and the angels are like, you're a genius. That's why you created the universe because you think outside the box. I think you should do that. And so God goes to Abraham. He's like, Abraham. And he's like, huh? Abraham. No, no, I don't eat any ham. Abraham, it's God. Who? It's God. Bob? It's God. No, never met a Bob. Abraham, I need the circumference of your forehead. The what? The circumference of your forehead. You want to circumcise my foreskin? <laughs> no, that wasn't the plan, but we think that's very funny. Let's roll with that. I think some stories are in the Bible because I thought I'd be in it. God thought I'd be entertained. But here's the thing we learn. If you, if you do the difficult, God will do the impossible. This is mind-blowing mind to me. It's like, it's already hard, and God says, yeah, let's, let's make the miracle a real miracle. Let's, let's crank the difficulty level up a little bit. Let, let, let's, let's make a covenant with the very thing that you need to make the promise come to pass. And so God creates a need that only God can fill. And so we need to, that's what faith is all about. It creates need. And so we're advancing and we're not settling. We are leaning in, we're not laying back. We are refiring, not retiring. We are laying hold, not letting go. We are focused on building for the coming generations and not decorating the legacy of our ancestors. We are playing it in faith. We're not playing it safe. We are leading the charge. We're not resting in peace. We have an expectation that is bigger than our excuses. We have anticipation that will eliminate any anxiety. We live in faith. We don't retreat in fear. God's calling us as his church to be able to advance, not retreat, not, not shy back, not, not hide in a closet somewhere or be intimidated by anybody. We are the children of faith. And even though in this decade, it may look harder than it's ever looked before and the giants may look bigger than they've ever been before, I'm here to tell you, we are the children of God. We are the household of God. And everything that God promised is gonna come to pass no matter how difficult it looks. Abraham was about 120 years old when God says to him, we're gonna give you a test. Abraham is 75 years old when he gets the promise. And he is 100 years old when the promise is fulfilled. That is a 25-year journey of Abraham listening, obeying, cultivating, and living in faith. And at this point, you would think, it was fair enough that God would just call it quits. He's been walking with him for 25 years, but now, now he's 120. He's been walking with God for 50 years, over nearly 50 years. And he's been circumcised and he's had kids and all sorts of craziness has happened. But then we come to this verse. 
He's 120, about 120. Genesis 22, verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham. God, after all of that, God tested Abraham. I'm like, wait, what? What, what wasn't the first 25 years the test? God's like, no, that was just a precursor to the real test. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. When God uses the word test, that, that freaks me out a little bit. I, I've, I have quite a bit of test anxiety. I, 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 don't, I don't, if I get pulled over by the police and they're gonna do a breathalyzer, I haven't drunk for years, but I'm convinced I'm gonna fail it. Just because it's a test, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like personality tests. If I do a personality, what they discover, I don't have a personality. I don't want to fail a blood test. That would be bad. You want to fail the blood test? I got to get my eyes tested. I hate the eye test. It's the most stressful. Anybody got glasses had an eye test? It's like the most stressful test you can have. There's not too many. You would know what I'm talking about. You sit there and they put you in that big thing, and then they're like, "How's that? Good. Is that?" Is that one better? Yeah. What about that one? What here? Here. What about that? They all look exactly the same. Seriously, I don't think you did anything different. Now we're doing different things. Well, I can't tell the difference. How's that? God comes up to Abraham and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna test you. Every lesson Abraham had had over that 50-year period comes to pass and revisits him in this season. Here's the thing, faith is not a destination. You don't, you don't arrive there, it's the life of faith. If you're still breathing, you live the life of faith, it's a journey. And God is gonna consistently unpack and unfold and, and, and it's an exciting, if you've never started it, if you're, you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'm here to tell you, I, I had no idea how cool living for God would be. It's just an amazing, an amazing journey and God just keeps going and going and going. And it's a consistent learning uh, and trusting Him. My first faith experience really financially was when I was newly saved and I had to believe God for a chef's jacket. I'd trained you know, done something, moved to New Zealand, and I needed a chef's jacket, got a job, but I didn't have any money. I had about $10. I was in church, and I felt like God told me to give the whole lot. I was gonna give a tire, chuck a buck in, and I felt God like, no, give the whole lot. It was the first time I've ever was challenged by God for sacrifice, because $10 may not be a lot to you, but when all, that's all you got, it's everything. And, 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 and so I just like, no one told me to do it. I felt like God told me to do it. And so I put $10 into the offering. So I have my first deposit of faith. And at the end of the service, an old guy comes up to me. He said, God spoke to me in the middle of the service and told me to give you this and handed me $100. And I was able to go and buy my chef's jacket. And it began this life of faith. Some years later, when I was at Bible college and I got invited to go back to New Zealand to that church and do some preaching, and, uh, and everyone's like, look, you gotta pay for the next semester at Bible college. It's a couple of thousand dollars. 
And I didn't have a couple of thousand dollars. I barely had enough money to get on an airplane and fly to New Zealand. But they had invited me over to come and preach in their church and do some days. And, and so I'm gonna take the test of faith and believe God that he's gonna answer. And so I spent what money I had and I went to New Zealand. I spoke for like seven days in this small church and, and they took some offerings up. And at the end of the week, the pastor came up and he said, look, we're so blessed that you were here. And he gave me 50 bucks for the week. And I needed a couple of grand. And, and then this other person came up and they gave me 10 and somebody else came up and gave me 10. Three or four people gave me $10. So now I'm up to 80 bucks and feeling pretty good. I'm a long way off my miracle. And this single mom, she, I, I knew her. Her story is horrible background, horrible story. She come up and she handed me an envelope. She said, I just wanted to bless you. Thank you for your ministry this week. And I put her $10 in my, my pocket with the other $10. I'm up to lean, nearly 90 and I got nothing more. And then I went home and, and I'm in this apartment with some friends that I was staying with. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. And he said, you didn't even open the envelope. You didn't even open the envelope and look at the, look, look at the gift. And I'm like, well, the church gave me 50. This wealthy guy gave me 10. Somebody else gave me 10. I know what it's gonna be. And God says, open it. And I opened it up. It was $2,000. There was $2,000 in the envelope that this woman had gone out of a way to be able to. What is that? That's just the blessing of God. And that started the journey in me of learning the life of faith, being able to build the life of faith. I, I, I learned over the, the, the years when I was itinerating and traveling and only earning money uh, when I traveled. So if I wasn't speaking anywhere, I wasn't earning anything. But I learned over the years that uh, if I had no ministry booked and I couldn't get it booked, that God was doing something. So I never panicked. So I'd come to a weekend, I'd have nothing booked, and, and like, what's gonna happen? I'm like, I don't know, but I trust God. And then on the Friday night, I'd get a call, can you come this weekend? During COVID, that happened all the time. Through 2020, I'm getting phone calls all along the way. Hey, what are you doing this week? On Saturday, I got a, I got a phone call on a Saturday night. They said, what are you doing? I said, why? And, and they said, all of our team is sick with COVID and we wanna know if you would fly in here and come and preach for us uh, in our church. And so I was flying into COVID infested areas and preaching and every weekend that it needed, God opened the door. Well, in 2021, I had June free, July open except one weekend and all of August empty. Now, after all the years of ministry, that was really unusual like totally unusual. I'd never had three months open. I might have a day, a week somewhere, but not three, that I couldn't fill. No matter who I wrote, weren't interested. June, July, and so everyone was like, well, are you panicking? To be honest, a little bit. But, but I knew that God was up to something. I didn't know what God was up to. Well, in May of 2021, I got a phone call from Word of Life and the pastor that they put in to replace the previous pastor had passed away. And my name came up as an, will you come and be our, our lead pastor? And they said, will you fly in and check out our church and see if it's something that you'd be interested in, maybe pastoring our church. And so Anna and I had been praying about a church for about 10 years. We had certain things that we wanted God to do. And so we thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity. So I flew into Washington, D.C. and met with the team and walked around the building. It was a very, very big, but incredibly uh, uh, conservative and old Assembly of God church. It needed a lot of work. To be honest with you, it was ugly. It was really ugly. 
It was big. It was like a really big, super ugly church. Pretty much everything that I've made fun of all my Christian life was in that church. In fact, when I, when I was there for about eight months, I remember one of the deacons came up and they said to me, Pastor, we're totally behind everything you're doing, but please, can you do us a favor? I'm like, what would you like me to do? So please don't refer to everything as ugly. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I went there in May. I went there in May and I walked around the building and, and, and the, the guy doing the transition said, can you come in June? Can you do a weekend in June? I said, well, I've got all June open. And he said, why don't you come and preach the first weekend in June? If it goes good, then you can do the second weekend in June. And then you can do the third weekend and maybe the fourth. You could do the whole month if you wanna do the whole, whole month. And we'll just see how it goes. And I said, well, we can give it a go. And if anything else comes up, then we can work around it. And so I did the first weekend of June. They said, will you please come back? I did the second week of June. They said, please come back to the third week of June. And then he said, can you come back and do the fourth week of June? I said, look, I can't do the first weekend of July. And the pastor said, listen, this has been the hardest transition I've done in all my life. I need a holiday. I need a break. Can you, can you preach for me in July? I said, well, I can't do the first week, but I can do the three weeks in July or all the last weeks in July. He said, that, that would be awesome. Why don't you fly in, just stay here, run the staff, lead the teams, and I can take a break. And it says, looks like we're gonna invite you to be our pastor. We can set the date up for the vote. Let's set it up for August 15. Preach for me all of July, and then we'll see how it goes. And so I went in, and I preached every week in July, and then I went back and preached the first week in August, and went back and preached on the 15th of August, and they voted me in on the 15th of August, and I started work on the 16th of August, and I've been there ever since. So in my thing, is like, why do I have these three months open? And God says, because if not open, I can't do in you and through you what I wanna do in you and through you. God needed to create the vacuum so faith could kick in and step through the door. And maybe that's your story right now. Maybe there's a vacuum there. But that expectation of God filling those three weeks didn't begin in God filling the three weeks began back in the 80s in a small church in New Zealand where God said to me, will you give the $10? And it's stretching out and giving what God had told me to do. The band can come up. I think we're just about out of time tonight. But here's what happens with Abraham's story that I love. In, in, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham now is, is 120. He's been walking with God for 50 years. I I don't understand why there needs to be a test. But God says, I'm gonna test you. And what God does was, God engages all the lessons that he'd learned over the 25-year period. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse two and three, God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go. Go to a place that I'm gonna show you. I will tell you where to go. Faith lives in a go. Verse four, God says to him, lift up your eyes and look. Faith lives in a look. Abraham is 120 and, and, and the people are saying, you know, uh, what's happening? Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over here and worship and we will come back to you again. What was Abraham doing? He was counting on God, doing what God said he was gonna do. I know that this is a big mission, but I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna bring my son back to you. Why? Because I can count on God to do all the things that God had said He would do. Faith lives in an opportunity. Abraham is 120 years old when he needs God to provide a lamb and God provides 
the lamb. He's going to create the opportunity. And then faith lives in a test. Faith lives in a Abraham takes his son up. And, and this has got to be, as a dad, I, I don't even understand how this can happen. But he lays his son on the altar. And he lifts up a knife. And God says, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is only a test. And there's a lamb in the thicket. But everything that God had been building in his life over the years was leading him to that moment to where he passed the test. And then he becomes the father of many nations. And you and I live in the blessing that began with a 75-year-old man just going and having a go. We live in that blessing. We live in a blessing of a 80-year-old man just looking. We live in the blessing of an 85-year-old man counting his blessings. We, we live in the blessing of a 100-year-old man just engaging, no matter how difficult it's gonna be. I'm gonna do, God, what you told me I'm gonna do. And we are the children of Abraham. We are living in the blessings of Abraham. We're living in the covenant of his faith. We're living in the blessing of his faith because he dared to step out. And I wanna encourage you today, there's gonna be somebody that lives in the blessing of your faith. There's going to be somebody that lives in the legacy of your faith. You are making faith decisions today that are going to impact your children and your children's children and your children's children's children for generations. But today is the day to put our feet down, put our shoulders back, make a faith declaration. God, it's going to be better. It's going to be different because I am a man of faith. I am a woman of faith. I am a child of faith. And I'm believing, God, that what comes out of me is going to be bigger than anything that's in me can do that and God says I can do that when you trust me stop looking at you and look at me and if you would do the difficult God will do the impossible when you stand to your feet right now and give the Lord a great round of applause I don't know who God's stirring up to move in faith for Him. There, 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 there are people that will say this in your Christian walk, you can't do anything, God does everything. And that's not true. It's not even biblical. Here's how it works. God says, you do what you can do. Very rarely will God do what you can do. I'm not saying He won't. I'm terrified to put God in a box. He just has a habit of blowing up the boxes I've tried to put him in over the years. So I'm not saying God won't do it, but generally, God won't do what you can do. He's called you to do that. If He is just gonna do what you could do, then you're God. You're telling Him what to do. You're just waiting for Him to do everything. And God's like, no, that's not how it works. I'm God. So you do what you can do. But then God does what only God can do. God says, so you do what you can do and God will do only what He can do that you can't do and here's how it works. You end up with the blessing as long as He gets the glory. If you don't take the glory to yourself and start thinking it's all about you, God says, no, we can part like, it's a partnership with God. You do what you can do. That's a step of faith. Then God answers your faith and God does what He can do and you get the blessing in front of you as long as God gets the glory for doing it. That's how God operates. It's all throughout the Scripture. It's all throughout the Scripture. Big act of faith. 
feeding of the 5,000. If you read your Bible, it says a big heading over it. Jesus what? Fed the 5,000. And we would say that. Who fed the 5,000? We're all like, Jesus fed the 5,000. But really, when you ask yourself, what did Jesus do? Not a heck of a lot. Disciples come up to Jesus. Hey, we're gonna stack a hungry people, 5,000 hungry people. What, what, what are we gonna do to feed them? And Jesus is like, well, will you do something? And they're like, what are we gonna do? I don't know, work it out. And so they go and they mug some kid for some bread and fish. And they come back. This is all we got. A few loaves of bread, few fish, not enough to feed 5,000 people. But they went and got it. Then the Bible says Jesus took it. And what did He do? He blessed it. Then what did He do? He gave it back to them. He said, you feed them. They are out distributing food to 5,000 people. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of work. And at the end, Jesus says, oh yeah, clean it up. And they get the baskets and they clean it up. Jesus didn't distribute food. Jesus didn't clean up the food. Jesus did this. That's all He did. Now this is super powerful because that changed everything. But He didn't do that until like, they did that. And then He gives it back to them and says, you feed them. That's how God works. Some of you are sitting back wanting God to do everything and God's not like, no, get off your backside and live the life of faith. Pray again, reach out again, call out again, try again. Change the way you speak, change the way you think, change the way you give, change the way you serve, change the way you live. It's time to step out in faith. God is calling a merged church to rise up in faith. This is not our day to retreat. This is our day to advance and to be all that God has called us to be all that God has called us to be.